Thanks for joining us at Warehouse Church. We would love for you to stay connected, and a great way for you to do that is to simply subscribe to this podcast. You can also stay connected throughout the week by checking out our website, warehousechurch.com, or by visiting our Facebook or Instagram pages. From wherever you are listening, we hope that you are encouraged by this week's message. Let me tell you why. Listen, let me tell you why. You say, Halloween, that's not church. Just hang in there. It's, just a, it's another Hallmark holiday. Don't make nothing of it, okay? It's all good. Let me tell you why we're encouraging you to take those invites home and put them in the bags for the kids. The kids aren't going to look at them, but when the parents scavenge those bags at the end of the night to take the good candy, they're going to see those invites and come out to a great event that our church hosted last year. We had lots and lots of people came out to it. I hope you'll be a part of that as well. Uh, but our Christmas, we say, and, and it, it, let me just tell you something. It pains me to talk about Christmas in October. Like, it, I have a hard time with that. Like, I think we should start Christmas December 13th for the 12 days of Christmas. Yes, just do it that way. That way it's not all this. Because we're backing it up and we're backing it up and now Christmas starts in October. I don't get it, but I'm happy if you're happy about it and we're just happy you're here. So anyway, hey, listen, I want to invite your attention to the book of Exodus chapter 20. We're starting a new series today um, called Law and Order. I'm very excited about this next four weeks. We're going to talk about that, and then we're going to start our series uh, the first week of December, right after Halloween. Uh, but as we do that this morning, I, I just want to say something. I want to thank uh, so many of you that blessed Kim and I for, for Pastor's Appreciation Month. We don't deserve that. We're honored to be a part of this ministry and to be a part of your lives. But I also want to specially recognize our staff this morning, because it's not Pastor. It's Pastors Appreciation Month, and they're on our pastoral staff. And I want to recognize my right-hand woman, Marianne Stewart, this morning for Pastor Appreciation Month. And my son-in-laws, Nick and Johnny, over here on my left. Oh, you two stand up. Stand up. I know. You can sit down now. And then uh, Christina somewhere. I don't know where Christina is. Johnny's wife and Katie, who just led the worship. Give them a hand. And then uh, Kelsey Gross and Nikki and Rachel are three chicklets. And then I also want to honor my daughter, Kelsey Hadrick, who runs our daycare and does such a great job with that. That's our staff. And we are so blessed by the staff that we have. And if you see them after church, just give them a high five or an attaboy and just let them know how much you appreciate them. We're also blessed this morning to have in our church service Lieutenant Colonel Howdy, and I don't know your last name, so forgive me. Over here on my right-hand side over here, Lieutenant Colonel Howdy, tell me your last name so I'm being it properly. McLaughlin. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to disrespect you by not knowing your last name, buddy. But uh, he was part, he serves in the Air Force, correct? And he, yeah, come on. He was right in the thick of it when all that stuff in Afghanistan was happening. And he was shipping people in and shipping people out. And we were praying for him diligently as a church. And I just wanted you to know that he's here, he's safe. And he said, thank you, church, for the prayers. And we just love their family and appreciate you, buddy. God bless you. So the Ten Commandments is an interesting subject. And I'm going to tell you why I'm doing this, because it kind of sounds like, man, we're going old, old, old school Back in Exodus, the second book of the Bible, and I think it's very relevant 
for us to study this, because not only is it relevant today, a few years ago it was a topic that was talked about because they were taking the Ten Commandments off of all these buildings. I don't think it happened in Texas, but in the rest of the weird United States, like in the Northeast, you know, they were doing things like that. But um, the Ten Commandments is a very relevant study for us to do today, and I think you'll uh, start to see that by the time we wrap up today's message this morning. But let me just give you a little bit of little bit of history behind what led up to God taking his finger and writing on those stone tablets, what we refer to as the Ten Commandments. Uh, if you go all, now Moses was God's servant, and he delivered the children of Israel out of Egyptian bondage, from which they were in for about 400 years. Now Moses is also God's man, not only who delivered them, but he wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Bible, the book of the law, or as theologians call it, the Pentateuch. Not something we would say every day, but that's what it's referred to uh, by people that study um, uh, theology. So these first five books, when you go in the book of Genesis, you kind of real, real, just a general, general, general history of Genesis. We read about creation, the fall of man, the beginning of civilization. We read about the flood, the Tower of Babel. We read about very importantly, the, pa the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. Now, Joseph was one of the sons of Israel or, um, or of Jacob. And Joseph, because his brothers kind of pawned him off on some slave traders because they hated him and they were jealous of him, goes down to Egypt. Joseph's life is a great study of character and integrity and of really trusting God. But Joseph became the number two, or really the number one A-man in Egypt. And when Joseph was there, there was a big famine all over the world, so he asked the Pharaoh if he could bring his family down from, from uh, Israel. It wasn't called Israel at the time, but bring his family down from what was referred to by God as the promised land, because Israel or, or Egypt had water, they had grain, they had food, they had supplies, so Joseph's family would not have to suffer during this terrible, terrible time uh, with, uh, when, when everything was dried up and nothing was able to be there. So when they, the, the, the um, children of Israel came down into Egypt, and they were there for about 400 years. And they, God heard the cry of his children. They cried out to God, deliver us, deliver us, deliver us. God sent them a deliverer in Moses. Exodus chapter 2, Moses is like, I'm not the man, God. I'm not the guy. And God said, you are the guy. You're going to do it. You take that, that staff that's in your hand, and I'm going to do some great things through you. And he said, I'm slow of speech. And he made all these excuses. But eventually God equipped him and used him to deliver the children of Israel out of Egyptian bondage. Ten plagues happen. And really, if you read about those ten plagues, you could kind of get the idea that God was punishing Egypt, and he kind of was a little bit, for the Egyptian bondage they had over the children of Israel. But I think even more than that, God was making himself known to the children of Israel who he was, right? And as he made himself known to the children of Israel, God takes Moses with about two million people takes them out of Egypt towards the promised land. They cross the Red Sea on dry land. They get to the basis of Mount Moriah. And I'm really speed, speed dating here a little bit, okay? They get to the basis of Mount Moriah. Moses goes up. God gives him 10 commandments. Why did he have to do this? Like, didn't they know who God was already through the tradition of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and so forth? Uh, why would God have to do this? You have to understand, they were not only living in Egypt for 400 years, they were influenced, they were influenced by the Egyptian 
uh, religious system that was, they just worshiped gods. They worshiped everything. You can see some of those things today, even in Egypt, the links and some of the things that are, that are left over. These were, these were things that they worshiped. They worshiped their kings. They worshiped spirits. They worshiped animals. They worshiped everything. And because they were right in the middle of this culture, they took on a lot of the characteristics of that culture, and God told them, you are my chosen people. We're going to do things a little bit different up in here. And God had their attention, right? God had their attention because he took them across the Red Sea on dry land. He took Moses up in the mountain. He saw this thunder and lightning, and all this stuff was happening. And God told Moses, I want you, I'm going to write these 10 things down. You're going to go down, and we're going to use these principles to govern my people. Now, these 10 rules or 10 commandments that God gave uh, to Moses to share with the children of Israel, that was like 10 of like 660 plus commands that he gave them. Now, the 660 plus commandments that he gave later in the book of Exodus and Numbers and Deuteronomy really kind of come down to these 10, and then Jesus changes the whole thing in the New Testament with with uh, the Pharisees when he said there's two commands, everything rests on love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbors yourself. If you break down the Ten Commandments, the first four commandments deal directly with our personal relationship with God, and we're going to talk about the first two today. The last six commandments deal with our relationship with humanity or mankind. They had a very odd sense of, of morals they didn't, you know, when you read through the Ten Commandments and you understand some of these, honor your father and mother and don't covet and these, these things, don't murder and don't do this. When you read through those different things, you're like, wow, these weren't principles that were governing their lives already, so God had to set them straight and teach them his ways, because his ways are higher than our ways, the Bible tells us. So let's look at Exodus chapter 20. I'm going to read for you this morning, verses 1 through 6. God's holy word says this. God spoke these words and he said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You will have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water uh, under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children of the third and fourth generations of those who hate me but showing mercy to, to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. So when we understand this morning, God gives us these two rules, first two rules of the 10. Uh, the first two things that he tells us is don't have any gods before me, right? And don't make any idols that you're gonna worship. And he gave us these, these first two commands in, because it's a foundation of everything else right? I am God. There's nobody else. You worship me, you worship me alone. And I have the authority. And that's, that's the thing about when we really understand who God is, it really answers the question of authority in our lives. You see, we're taught today that there's no authority, right? Counseling teaches you that. Secular counseling teaches you that. Uh, secular, our world today teaches you that. The authority in your life is you. You do what you want to do. You do what pleases you. You do what makes you feel good. And then we're going to try to get everybody else to comply with that because of human rights and this and this and this. Listen, there is a God. And this God created the heavens and the earth. And the Bible tells us he's the only one that we're supposed to worship. And when you understand that these 10 basic laws that he gave us and the, and the why behind that, the first reason why is like I said earlier, the commandments were needed 
because the children of Israel only knew of, of Egyptian law and worship, right? The commandments were needed because, again, the first four commandments deal with man's relationship. The foundational principle of all these commandments, man's relationship with God. The last six commandments deal with man's relationship with each other. And number four, God delivered the children of Israel with huge, crazy, unheard of miracles, and now he wanted to set a new standard of worship and with their relationship with each other. So what are these first two commandments about? And frankly, how are they relevant today, right? The first commandment is about who we worship. Who we worship. It's very important this morning to understand who you worship. Because whether or not you claim Jehovah God is the God that you worship in his son Jesus Christ, whether or not you believe that John 14, verse number six, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. Just because somebody doesn't believe it or doesn't want to believe it or doesn't think that it's true doesn't mean it isn't true, right? Because God's word, not only does God's word tells us it's true, we understand that through natural revelation, but we can also understand that through supernatural revelation. Just walk outside tonight. How many of y'all are going trick-or-treating with your kids or grandkids tonight? Raise your hand up in the air, okay? How many of you are going to steal some of your kids' candy? Raise your hand up in the air. I know. I get it. I'll do, I, I used to do the same thing. Now my wife will slap my hand if I try to do that. But when you're out in the street walking around, it gets a little bit dark, and you look up in the sky, and you see the stars and the moon and the beautiful sky. Hopefully it's going to be out there tonight. The Bible says in Psalm 19, verse number one, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament displays his handiwork. There is a God and he created us and he created us to give him glory and to worship him. Uh, number two, the first commandment not only talks about God, but it rejects every other God that people say exists today. You know, there are some other organized religions in the world and I, I find it interesting. I, I, I read things when there's a religious summit, when you'll have uh, priests and, and Muslim leaders and Christian leaders and these leaders and these leaders and these leaders all come together for unity. Well, there's disunity in that group because they don't all believe in the God of the universe that created the heavens and the earth. They don't believe in Jesus Christ, God's only begotten son, and the way that we have a relationship with God is through him. The second commandment that we're talking about today rejects false forms of worship. And we're going to hit that in just a few minutes and understand why that's important for us to understand that. So here's, here's what I want to share with you today. Are the Ten Commandments relevant today? Are they relevant today, right? Uh, Jesus talks about some of them, and he kind of puts the Ten Commandments on steroids uh, during the Sermon on the Mount in the book of Matthew, and we're going to hit that in a couple weeks but are the Ten Commandments relevant for us today? Here's the thing we understand about God. God wants us to worship him alone, and the only way to him is to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. A commitment to good, a commitment to a good religion, a commitment to moral living. The Bible tells us in the book of Titus, chapter 3 and verse number 5, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but it's according to his mercy that he saves us. He created us, and he created the way to have a relationship with him. You can't choose that way, right? Because Jesus is the only way. Now, world religions tell you and other religions tell you, you know what, if you do good, you know, all paths lead to. That's not a true statement, church. That's false teaching. 
But it's not popular, like today, it's not popular in our accept everything culture that we live in today to believe in one way to God through Jesus Christ. Because here's what happens. People that don't believe that, and I'm going to share with you a big, big, big word that's very, very popular in our world today that we need to succumb to and believe in. Ready? I'm saying that very, very, very uh, tongue-in-cheek. The word is offended. God. Now, now here's the thing that we have to be careful as Christians. If you know Christ as your personal Savior, you're not a Christian because you walk through this church today. That just like when I went through, uh, when I was in Atlanta a little while back, I walked into Atlanta Stadium where the Braves play. Just because I walked in that stadium does not mean that I'm an Atlanta uh, Braves fan by any stretch of the imagination. I walked in the building. I still don't like the Atlanta Braves. I don't want either team to win the World Series this year because I don't like the Braves and Houston cheated. So I don't like either team, right? So I'm totally out of it this year. But when you, walk, just like when you walk into this church, something special doesn't happen to you. Like God's Shekinah glory doesn't get sprinkled all over you. And you're like, ooh, I'm in church today. That doesn't happen. You come here because we're teaching about God. We're challenging you in your personal relationship with God. And if you don't have a personal relationship with God, you are in the best place you could be to learn about that today. And we want to invite you to do that. We're not singling anybody out saying you're better you're worse, because you know what the truth is when it comes to measuring people? 2 Corinthians chapter 10 tells us it's very unwise to do that. And, you, and that's really great for, uh, for everybody, for, and here's the reason why. There's a lot of people in this world that aren't Christians are a lot better than Christians. Did you hear what I said? They live better, they talk better, they're moral. And so when we compare ourselves, that's a slippery slope because that's a very unsafe to be. And God says, don't do that. Don't compare yourself to each other. That's, even though you're trying to make yourself look like you're wise, you really look like fools. If you want to live like something, Philippians chapter 2 says, let this mind or lifestyle be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. He was humble, obedient, and he died so that we can have a relationship with him. So when we understand this morning that God wants us to worship him alone, but then we hear, when we're talking about some of our Christian values and some of the things that we really believe in, and we believe with all of our heart, the only way to God is through Jesus Christ. And when other people don't believe that, we have to be very careful that we don't rebuke that with a tone that I'm right and you're wrong. Because we don't need to draw, and that's, that's where some of this weird Facebook community, weird stuff happens where people get in these passive-aggressive, well, I believe this, and if you believe this, you need to post this, and if you believe this, you'll say amen. There's so much stuff out there like that. I like the one that says, if you read this, you're going to have prosperity in your life, and you're going to have a million dollars posted in your bank account. Listen, I've reposted that a hundred times and don't have a hundred million dollars in my bank account, okay? So Facebook, the, I heard this the other, the other day by a comedian. He said it about... I think he said it about Twitter, but I'm going to say about Facebook. Facebook is not a place. It's not a place. It's just all this, it's just all this stuff, you know, that people say. Because people say it, it must be true, right? It's got to be true. It's on Wikipedia. It must be true, right? It's all factual. And the thing is, we have to make sure that we're not offensive in our tone that's causing people to be offended, and when we talk to people about Jesus Christ, we're not doing that in a way where we're like, I'm right and you're wrong, and if you don't believe in Jesus, you could go straight to hell, sucker. That doesn't bring glory to God, 
right? We, if we're going to draw people to Jesus and draw people to God, what do we have to do? We have to demonstrate love. We have to demonstrate kindness. We have to demonstrate patience. Because it takes, listen, most of the time when you invite somebody to come to church, they're not going to come on the first time you invite them. Might be the second time, might be the third time. It might be after a year of you just living near them and being nice to them, you know? But I can tell you this, if you live near them and you're mean to them and you invite them a year later, they ain't coming to your church. Why would I want to be miserable like that person? When we moved, I was telling my buddy this yesterday, when we moved into our neighborhood a couple years ago, um, the neighborhood knowledgeable person, the neighborhood gossip, told me everything about everybody on our street. (gasps) (sighs) I said, I I listened to all this, and I was like, man, I wonder what you're going to tell people about me. Because my family's crazy, right? My family's crazy. We draw people to God through what Jesus said we're supposed to do is by loving them, right? Worship God alone. That means we acknowledge his son as the way, the truth, and the life. The first commandment of the founda- is the foundation for the last nine. The, the commandments that say afterwards, don't worship a graven image, remember the Sabbath day, all the way down to the, to the rest of these commandments, it all goes down to that first commandment. God said, um, I am the Lord your God, and I'm the only person you're supposed to serve or worship. That's it. So the, the, here, here's the thing. If you don't want to do the first commandment, right, then, then you get a free pass on the rest of them because it doesn't matter. But if you want to do the Ten Commandments and follow the Ten Commandments, not as something you hang up in your house and say, I'm living after the Ten Commandments because it's not the law that saves us. We follow these because we love Jesus Christ. But following the Ten Commandments does not give you a relationship with Jesus Christ. We do that out of the sincerity of our love and to, and, and to show God that, that we believe in his system of morality that's taught throughout the Word of God. The world wants us to believe there are many paths to enlightenment. The world wants us to believe there's many paths to heaven. The world wants us to believe there's many paths to God. Be good. Be nice to other people. Do more good than bad, and you're going to get to heaven. And that's absolutely 100% the opposite of what's taught to us in the Word of God, right? So we have to make a decision. You know, when you, when, you make, when you do the study on the Ten Commandments, it's in Exodus. The Bible has 66 books, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament, and you're trying to decide. I, 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 had, I talked to a, a lady a few years ago and said to me, you know, I think the Bible's a great book, but I only believe about half of it. So I said, well, you don't believe any of it then. You could kind of tell by her tone that she wanted to you know, she wanted to debate me a little bit. You know what I'm saying, Chris? She just kind of wanted to throw me some, throw some bombs in there and kind of get me started a little bit. Once she got me rolling a little bit, I said, well, then you don't believe any of it. Because if you don't believe that God is, and he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him, he's the only God that exists, then there's no point in our house having a discussion. It is the foundational truth of everything that we believe that God is. He said, I am. So when we understand that God wants us to worship him alone, and the only way to him is through Jesus Christ, Here's number two. And there's only two points this morning. Somebody say amen. amen. But I only have 35 more verses to read, okay? So God does not want us. This is super important, church. Okay, so number one. Let me read through number one again, right? God wants us to worship him alone, and the only way to him is through Jesus Christ. If you agree with that, say amen. amen. That's pretty foundational. That's not a stretch for us to grasp being in church on Sunday morning, that God wants us to worship him alone. Here's where it gets a little dicey for most people. You ready? God does not want us to put anything before him. 
dang it. That's a little harder. I agree that God is, and he created, and I believe the Old Testament, and I believe in Jesus. I believe that the only way to God is through him. I believe that he died and rose again. He's coming again to get to church. I believe that with all of my heart. But sometimes, you say, Pastor, you put other things before him? I want to ask you that question. You see, God wants us to worship him. He wants us to worship him in spirit and truth. He will reward us if we diligently seek him. But understand this. We would agree that we shouldn't worship inanimate objects, right? So when you read through the New Testament, the Old, the Old Testament, you read through these Ten Commandments, don't worship a graven image. We're like, well, I'm not going to make something and worship it. That doesn't seem relevant. You're missing the idea of what's being taught here. The idea is when God, God gave Moses this command when this was happening to the children of Israel. They were down there like, man, Moses has been up there forever. All right, what are we going to do? Aaron, you get everybody and get all their gold, and we're going to make a calf because we're going to worship that because that's all they knew. That's all they knew. God was up there. He was like, I don't know how big Mount Moriah is and if it's a 14 or whatever, you know, these mountains that people look at that have all these climbing stuff that they do. But Moses went up there, and he was 80. So I'm expecting Mount Moriah was maybe like 1,000 feet above sea level. And maybe there was a lift he got up there. I don't know. But he was 80 years old, went up to the top of this mountain. And while the thunder and the lightning and all this stuff of God's presence is up there that people could observe, we need something to look at that we can worship. That's what they knew. We need something to put before what's happening right now. So when God's writing this command down, don't worship a graven image, what are they doing? They're making a graven image. Like simultaneously, this is happening. God knew that. He wasn't surprised by that. But he had to teach them the way, the truth, and the life. He had to teach them what it meant to worship God. There wasn't a plurality when it came to God's presence. There was him and him alone. So when we look at that, well, how is that relevant today? I don't have any stuff in my yard. When I grew up uh, in, in Delaware County in Pennsylvania, where Mary Ann and I grew up, uh, she graduated high school from a different high school a few years before I did, but it's all semantics. It's whatever. But we live in a very, very, very super-duper strong Catholic community. And you knew people were Catholic in our neighborhood where I grew up because they had a pick, they had a stone of Jesus' mother Mary in their front yard. And that's not like one or two. That was like everybody had that stuff in their yard, right? And I said to my mom one time, hey, mom, what's that? Oh, that's, that's you know, Jesus' mom Mary, this, this, and this. And I, I'm watching one of my neighbors. They came outside on Easter, Good Friday or something, bowed down before it, put something on it, put flowers around it, went back in their house. I'm like, Mom, what are they doing? She said, well, honey, they believe that Mary is a deity like God is and started explaining some things to me that didn't make sense because I'd never heard that before. Even though I had all these Catholic friends, we didn't, you know, we just wanted to play baseball together. We didn't talk about religion when we were eight years old, right? But I'm learning these things. I'm scratching my head, and my friends are telling me this. Mom, I want to go to Catholic catechism class. And she was like, oh, you would have thought, right? Well, here, you need to go to church more. I didn't know if there was more church. I was going Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. What's more church when you're going four days a week? I didn't even understand that, right? She said, honey, you got to understand something. So we, don't, we look at that and go, and maybe you have a Catholic background. Listen, I'm not dogging anybody. I'm not making fun of anybody when I say these things. This is what happened in my life, and I didn't understand it. And we said, well, I don't do that, so therefore I don't worship a graven image. But what do you put before your relationship with God? Because that's what it means. So let me be specific about it. 
does work ever become before your relationship with God? As it gets really quiet on Sunday morning in church? Hey, does your family? Does your husband? Does your wife? Does your kids? Does your money? Does your stuff? My stuff isn't more important. How can my stuff be more important to God? Well, if that's what we're pursuing, and if that has most of our attention, and God gets us for 45 minutes, maybe 55 minutes if I go long on Sunday, right? Are we putting that before our relationship with God? Sports. Man, you know, you know when you're old, listen, you know when you're old, when you say to your kids, well, I remember when, right? I used to walk to school, but it wasn't uphill both ways in the snow, okay? It was uphill one way, downhill the other way. But it was a mile and a half. We walked to school, just what you did. But I remember when you couldn't even buy alcohol on Sunday. And I remember when in, in Missouri, there's some folks in here that have some Missouri background, have been to Missouri, that they started selling alcohol on Sundays. You ready for this? That was only 3.2% alcohol instead of 5%. Anybody remember that? Yeah, you're too ashamed to admit it. That's why. You're like, I never heard of anything like that in my life. Yeah, it was watered down beer on Sunday. That's all it was, right? And then the 5%, right? And then things started. Oh, you couldn't even go to a mall on a Sunday. You guys remember those days? Couldn't even go to a mall on Sunday. Couldn't go shopping. Grocery stores. You could go to a convenience store, and they justified it by saying, you know, I, listen, I'm so old, I remember when milk was delivered to your house in glass. I even got in trouble for dropping them one day. My mom wanted to kill me for doing that, right? But all this stuff about something, now it's just another day. And some of you old people like me, do you remember when there were no sporting events for your kids on Sundays? Remember those days? And now... The most crowded church on Sunday is soccers and fields and football. And, and, and listen, most of us are going to go worship at the altar of football today. The Cowboys were off last week. So you're like, oh, I need my, I need my football. Right? And they, they don't play, I don't think they'll play tonight anyway, right? Isn't tonight they play against the Vikings? Yeah, tonight they lose to the Vikings, so. It's terrible. It's terrible. Right? Sports. Listen, I'm not, there's nothing wrong with any of these things that I talked about. It's not wrong if your kid plays soccer on Sunday. It's not. But what's wrong is, is when we put all these things in front of our relationship with God, and what we wind up doing, here's, here's what's happened to church. What's happened to church is, my wife and I were talking about this. this in, in my, we read something one of my pastor friends posted, and it was kind of an aggressive post about Come back to church. Now, this is up in the Northeast where COVID's still a big demon monster and it's, it's still badish or whatever, whatever. You could say what you want to about it, but it's reality. It, it lives up there pretty, the influence of it's pretty strong. And one of my friends made a very strong statement about, I was watching a football game today and the stadium was full and nobody had a mask on. And you've seen it too, these statements have been. I went to a grocery store and I went here and I went here. And then he said, and my church is only running 50% of what we were running before COVID. He says, why is everybody doing everything else? But for some reason, like the worst part of this disease is in our HVA system or in our chairs or in, I, listen, however you feel about it, we love you, okay? And we love you that are watching online. And we're glad you're watching online. You're with us today. 
but we've let a lot of other things take place of God in our lives. Fear. Fear something that we put above God, you know? And, and all these things, right? Professional goals, investments. I have to say this because uh, I'm a paid endorser. Cryptocurrency, you know? But Jesus said in Matthew 6, verse 33, right? Super relevant, going back to the Ten Commandments and what we're supposed to do today in light of that. But seek what? First. Seek first. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then God says, and then all of these things are going to be added unto you. When God becomes first, things are in order for your life. And right now, our world is suffering because things are upside down and out of order. But it's all going to be made right when God comes back someday through his son Jesus. Jesus is even going to come down feet on soil in Jerusalem and rule this world for a thousand years before we go to a new heaven and a new earth. All that old stuff's going to be, all that old stuff is going to be destroyed and we're going to live forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever in the presence of God. No more sickness, no more pain, all the people that know Jesus are going to be there, but here's why it's relevant for us today. People that don't know him aren't going to be there. And it's not our job to go out and tell people that don't go to church, Ten Commandments is for you. No, it's our job as followers of Jesus to apply these areas to our lives so we could draw people to Jesus, tell people about Jesus, so that we could spend eternity with them worshiping the one God that's ever existed. Jehovah God. So what are you seeking after? Paul said in Galatians chapter 2, verse number 20, I have been crucified with Christ. That's not a literal crucifixion. What Paul's saying is, I died to myself because of Jesus Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Listen to what he says in Colossians. Remember, you talk about making it plain and clear. If you then were raised with Christ, then seek those things which are above. Not all this stuff. It, this stuff doesn't matter. Wood, hay, and stubble. It's not going to be here a thousand years from now. Some of it might not even be 50 years from now. You remember, I don't remember when because I wasn't here. You remember when walking through the Collin Creek Mall 30 years ago and going, oh, man, this is huge. This is awesome. It ain't there anymore. And someday something's going to get built there so my house price can go up and I can buy something smaller. He says, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Then he says this, set your mind on things above. You know what that means? I'm not going to have any gods before me. I'm not putting anything before my relationship. The things that are important to him, they're important to me. If it's important to God that I come and worship him on Sunday morning or on Saturday night or whenever church is that happens for you in your life, if, it's, if God is first in your life, then things that are important to him will be important to you. His local church, that's important to him. His son came and gave his life for that. Giving. You say, wait a minute, that's not in the Ten Commandments. How are you sliding giving in there? If it's important to God, it's got to be important to us. If we're setting our mind on things above, not on things in the earth. And then he says this, because you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life? Now think about that statement for a second. If I were to ask you this morning, who is your life? If you 
you were to ask me, if we were out walking the neighborhood and you saw me, hey, Ed, who's your life? Probably I would say my wife and my kids and my grandkids. I'd say the things that, that we are kind of used to saying and, and, and are supposed to say, right? But he says, when Christ who is your life, you know what that means? It's not wrong loving your wife a lot and loving your kids a lot and doing everything you can to make their lives the best that you can, leading them the best way that you can. But he's saying this, if they're above Jesus, then Jesus is not your life. If they're above your relationship with God, then you know what we do, church? We all do this. Every person in this room does this at some time or another. We put things before our relationship with God. So I'm going to challenge you today. I'm going to challenge you to, today to pray. I'm going to, I'm going to ask you to do that right now in just a minute. And ask God, say, God, and these are those prayers, man, these are those prayers that you better be careful what you pray. Like, God, teach me to have faith. <laughs> Something's coming your way, brother, I promise you. You know, God, teach me. Ask God to do this today. God, teach me, show me, where I put other things before you. And I'm going to tell you something. He'll show it to you. And not for the purpose of, good job, you're right, you're acknowledging that. No, it's to make it right before him. Listen, that doesn't mean, set, doesn't mean I'm going to set my wife aside. She's the queen of my life. She's the most important person on this planet to me. What that does mean is, if I have God first and love him the way that I'm supposed to, that even helps me love her better than I am already when I put her number one. Because Kim's place in my life should not be number one. God's place in my life should be number one. My kids, who I love very much, and we've lived our whole life to do everything we can, right or wrong. You know, we, we, a lot of you parents have said this, and I've said it too. I want them to have it better than me, or I want them to have this, or I want, I've done that too. I promise you I've done that. But when I put my kids above my relationship with God, I'm out of order. God's got to have that number one place. And it's even hard with grandkids, these perfect beings that are beautiful and have never sinned and done anything wrong. It's very easy to put them above my relationship with God. But you know what my grandkids and my kids and my wife need to see my, me prioritizing? Not them, God. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. That's why these are so relevant today. Can I invite you to pray with me this morning? Thank you, Father, for your Old Testament and New Testament holy inspired, preserved word. We acknowledge it this morning. We submit to it today. Lord, I don't know if anybody in this room would argue that God is, he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him, that he, you are the creator, the sustainer. You sent your son Jesus to die so that we could be forgiven and have a relationship with you. I don't remember ever sharing that in a church service where people came up to me and said, eh, I don't know if that's really true. But I think where we would all struggle, every man and woman, starting with this dude right here, Lord, would be, what am I putting before you in my life? And we can even put things that are good before you. You know, like our health, our family, our kids, our career. Because the reason we're working is for them. And we do all these things to justify it. But the truth of the matter is, if God's not first, we, we, our, our priorities aren't lined up the way that they're supposed to be. And I pray that all of us would pray that prayer today. Dear Father in heaven, show me today where I'm not prioritizing you. Show me today 
what I'm putting in front of my personal relationship with you. I challenge you to pray that prayer. I challenge you to do it right now. Father, show me where you're not number one in my life. Whether he reveals that to you now or sometime today when you pillow your head at night, he's not revealing that to you to cause this big emotional response. He's revealing it to you so that you will confess it and make it right with him. Say, Father, I'm sorry I put my kids before you. I just love them so much, Lord, and I know they're a gift from you. Father, I know I put my wife before you sometimes. She's such a special lady, and I'm sorry. And Please forgive me, Lord. I know you need to be number one. I know you need to be number one over my grandkids. I know you need to be number one over my finances. I know you need to be number one over my schedule. I know you need to be number one over my stuff. I know you need to be number one over the things that I'm pursuing. God, help me to make you number one in my life. And thank you. And I say this to the Lord when I pray to him, church. Thank you for being patient with me. Thank you for revealing this to me. And help me, help me today to grow and to change. He'll help you do that. Another way he'll help you do that is get yourself in church. Get yourself in your life group. Open up your Bible. Make sure he's getting most of your attention. What's so great about that is because in Matthew chapter 6, he says, Seek first my kingdom, my righteousness. And he doesn't say, because I want to hold things back from you. He says, and I'm going to add all these things to you. It's even better when God's first in your life. You don't feel like you're sacrificing. You don't feel like God's holding back from you. You feel like, wow, things are in order, and I understand God's blessing on my life. And I pray that for every man and woman who's with us in the auditorium and a part of our online service this morning. Father, we love you. We submit ourselves to you. Help us to be more like you today. Help us to put you number one. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people say it with me.